I'm home. Welcome to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, an introspective look at video gaming from the classic era to the modern day. Now here is your host, Brian. Hey folks, what's going on out there? Brian here, and this is episode number 42 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Okay, since last we left, which was a little bit more than a month ago, I meant to record last week, but things just got really busy and really crazy, and, you know, just a whole bunch of things going on that I had to take care of, so I didn't record when I usually do. Um, usually by now, I have the episode out and ready, and now I'm on a bit of a time crunch because I want to get it out onto the internets for you guys by the time I leave on Friday. Now, to explain that, as uh, you guys well know, I've had ambitions about going to Arcade Central, otherwise known as the Greater Chicago Area. Um, I had said that for since I probably started this podcast, I was going to get out there one day. But you know what? Uh, some things broke my way, and I'm actually in a fairly stable financial situation right now. So um, I just said, you know what? I'm going to do this because if I don't do it now, there's always going to be some reason for me not to do it. So. Um, I started the ball rolling in, what, mid-June, I think? Yeah, it was about the middle of June when I started making plans and hotel reservations and scouting out the areas to see what and where I'll be going over this coming weekend, which is the uh, Labor Day weekend coming up starting on Friday, and I'll be coming home Monday. That's the plan. Um, I already have most of the locations I want to go to planned out, and I'm going to basically set up an itinerary and just stick to it as best as I can. I mean, of course, um, if things you know, develop, like, say, I've been trying to get a hold of Jack Danger for, like, the last couple of weeks, you know, I wanted to stop by his studio, you know, hang out with him for a little bit, um, apparently he's having internet issues, so, uh, he hasn't been streaming lately, or at least he's not been streaming when I've been home, so, um, I want to, uh, also get a hold of, um, Greg Hansen, but he's gone sort of incognito, aside from the infrequent episode of Arcade Impossible he puts up on YouTube. I haven't seen him in a while. Um, I did get a hold of him, but that was like, oh my god, over a year ago, maybe even closer to two now. Um, And he was more than agreeable to come on to uh, the podcast or to be interviewed by me. And that may still happen. We shall see. Um, From what I understand, Greg's made a few changes in his life. I think he's sort of getting out of the arcade at home business, or what what do you want to call it, but 
the whole thing is I haven't seen him in a while, so something may be going on. I don't know. I wish I knew, because that way I would be able to, at the very least, uh, know yes or no whether I can, you know, hang out at his place, you know, and, inter and interview him as well. So we'll see. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll probably send out a, another feeler uh, tomorrow, and hopefully I can get a hold of him and find out whether he's amenable to still being interviewed by me or not. Speaking of that, um, there are tentative plans for me to interview Doc Mack uh, from Galloping Ghost Arcade. Um, my itinerary, basically, I have to carve out most of Saturday just for Galloping Ghost. Um, yeah, as of right now, they are, what, 836 or 37 games on the floor? So, yeah, I need to get a hold of him because I've got the questions ready to go and it's just a matter of just setting it up you know whether we do it in an office or something like that or god forbid in uh, Galloping Ghost Studios <laughs> I told you this man owns half of Brookfield or at least it looks it seems that way to the outside eye but so I'm going to try and get a hold of him and try to finalize uh, a time where I could interview him. Um, I'm going to be in the greater Chicagoland area for the entire holiday weekend. And so I'm going to be, you know, going to various places, um, some obvious, some not. And I'm going to, you know, check these places out, spend a little money, and see what it's all about. Um, Illinois has reinstated mask wearing in public as a, a mandate. That's not a problem, you know, but, you know, if you see a rather geeky looking uh, black guy in his 50s um, playing games and so forth and, you know, wearing a, a black face mask, hey, that's me, <laughs> you know, walk up and say, hey, if you would. But anyhow... Um, let's see, what else is going on? That's the major development. I mean, this is coming down to the wire, and I still have a few things to get done before, you know, I get out there and spend the majority of my time out there. So I still have some stuff to do, and I'm still working. Um, another development, I'm not working six days at my main job anymore. It's now been reduced to five and then I'm going to arrange my home care schedule to where I have Sunday off, which means I don't have to do anything anywhere else, and I could spend the time as I see fit, whether it's sleep, catching up on sleep, uh, taking Marcus to the park, or something like that. Now I have the time, because I realized that, you know, not only do I need time for me, I need time for my son, too because he's always on me about doing things like, you know, playing soccer in the hall, which is our favorite game we play together, or going for a walk, or me trying to encourage him to ride his new bike and things like that. Um, and over the last several weeks, I haven't had the time to do that. And I kind of know what that's like, you know, just putting myself in his shoes 
back when I was about seven years old. The difference was is that with me, when I was seven years old, I had zero problems going out and finding my own fun, you know, with friends or by myself. I had no problem with it. <laughs> In some ways, I was absolutely fearless at that age. And I see that with my son, and it's just kind of funny to me because he's walking my line. <laughs> I've said it a couple of times in the past several episodes, but yeah, it's it's a trip to watch for sure. Um, let's see, on the home gaming front, I've been on a major Streets of Rage 4 kick for a while. Um, I mean, we're talking about almost a month straight where after I got done with everything around the house after I got home from work, I basically just sat down in front of my computer and started playing uh, Streets of Rage 4, and then when I finally stopped and looked up, sometimes the sky was starting to lighten, you know, I'd be up all night playing the game. Um, I have to admit, that game really frustrated me at first, but I kind of got used to how the game plays, and, you know, while there are some horrifically cheap moments in the game, it's still pretty good. I mean, this is probably the best, you know, uh, sequel out of the whole bunch, because not only do you have the storyline, and you have, I think you start initially with five or six characters, but then you get more of them as you go through the storyline, and then, in a genius move, um, you also get the Streets of Rage 1 characters, the Streets of Rage 2 characters, and the Streets of Rage 3 characters. Each character in each iteration of the old Genesis games, they play differently. Um, you would think with Streets of Rage 1, uh, the attack sequences of, let's just say, for example, uh, Axel, you know, the main character in the game. It's very, very basic, but they inflict a lot of damage. And as you go through Streets of Rage 2, Streets of Rage 3, um, the characters are able to do more. And then, of course, there's modern-day, quote-unquote, Streets of Rage 4 counterparts. And then once you beat the actual story mode, there's a survival mode where you basically um, go through uh, waves of uh, enemies... And at the end of the wave, you get a choice to uh, a power-up that you can select. It basically, using the uh, game lore, Dr. Yan, or excuse me, not Dr. Yan, Dr. Zahn, who is like the uh, Professor Xavier of the Streets of Rage crew, if you will, um, he created like a holographic uh, Danger Room-style, holodeck-style, uh, combat simulator for the Streets of Rage heroes to use and that's how you go through it and it's actually a lot of fun to play especially the weekly um, survival mode it's a lot of fun I just have to get away from it for a little while you know because I get horribly obsessed with it um, let's see I got back into Nova Drift after finding out a um, couple of, of YouTube um, artists, if you will. Uh, they go by the name Ultra C, 
and they do a bunch of different games, but they come up with these Nova Drift builds, like, on the fly, and they sort of go through the game and test it, and they're really, really good at the game because there are a couple of runs they do with a build they make that get, nets them, like, over 3 million points or something like that, and it's just ridiculous to watch. Um, just using them for inspiration I've made new builds because the one build that I used to use is not as effective anymore because they nerfed one of the uh, weapon power-ups and because they did that you know it, it doesn't make my build anywhere near as efficient and or deadly as it once was so yeah that's something I've been doing I gotten back into Nova Drift um, I'm playing Battletech every so often um, I try really hard sometimes to be able to go up to the, my, uh, shift at the arcade to ar arrive there early so I can spend like an hour or half an hour playing games before I take my turn behind the counter for the rest of the night. Um, the job at the arcade is going very well. Um, the owner is very happy with me because, you know, apparently I'm doing a good job. Um, let's see. Yeah, and I'm thinking we're going to be getting new people in. As a matter of fact, one of the major issues that the actual arcade has, which was the uh, lack of uh, strong enough air conditioning, is being remedied. Uh, I got a, a, I talked to the uh, owner of the actual building, and he's going to be putting in new air conditioning units, you know, in the uh, uh, you know, next to the building where they're located, and that's going to keep the building cooler. Um, I think they sort of fixed one of the air conditioning condensers because when I arrived there to on uh, the, this previous Friday, um, just to talk with whoever's behind the counter and just you know ask him what's going on and whatnot. Actually, I met the tech. His name is Travis. And, you know, we talked for about 15 minutes or so, but I noticed when I walked in that it was a lot cooler in the place. So that helps. And if we're getting like brand new air conditioning units in the place, that's going to alleviate one of the major problems that the building has. And if that's the case, then, you know, we're hoping that will lead to more business. I mean, with the Delta variant going on, you know, there's not as much business for the arcade right now as there could be. And it's going to probably get a little busier once everyone's back to school because school just started this past Monday, like the other day. And, you know, once everything, you know, gets on a rhythm and a routine that way, of course, the kids are going to want to do some, some things over the weekend. And, you know, going to the arcade is uh, one of the good ones. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, I, I think we're getting in position to, you know, really make this place um, a much more quality experience. And that will just only drive more business to uh, us. So we shall see. Um, anyway, so that's pretty much what's going on with me. Um, I took a look at the emails and voicemails and messages and still nothing's out there. So once again, if you have any questions, 
uh, thoughts about anything that I've said over the previous 41 episodes, um, a particular game that you are either curious about or something or something that's a favorite of yours and you want me to give it the Are You Experienced treatment, uh, by all means, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Uh, also, you can get a hold of me on Instagram. That's where it's sort of like, I'd say 60-40, uh, the most traffic that I see for uh, the podcast is, you know, it's about 60-40 Instagram and uh, Facebook. Of course, Facebook and Instagram are under the same company umbrella, so of course, um, anytime I post a picture, and I've lately I've been posting pictures of myself, you know, as I'm starting my shift at the arcade, um, and that's been meeting with some positive results and things like that. Um, and yeah, stay tuned, folks, because I'm going to be uploading a crap ton of photos and things like that um, when I get to Chicago on this coming Friday, and it's going to pretty much go through the whole weekend, so stay tuned for that. Um, so yeah, on Facebook, the show is, of course, make, just in the search bar, type in Confessions of an Arcade Addict Podcast, it'll take you right to the page. There is a discussion group that goes with that, but it's been really quiet as of late, which is a little disappointing, disheartening, shall I say. I get a lot more traffic on Instagram. Uh, my name there is uh, Arcade Addict Brian, all one word. Uh, Twitter is Arcade Addict underscore B. And Tumblr is tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. So if you want to get a hold of me, uh, those are the best ways to do it. You know, if you want to, you know, ask questions or tell a story about your arcade experiences or experience with a particular game, hey, hit me up. I'll read your email on the air, and I'll see if I've got any experiences that uh, coincide with it. So, hey, I'm here. Get a hold of me. All right, so with all that out of the way, let's get on with the show. I've got quite a bit to talk about, and it, the hour, once again, is late, so I need to get this done ASAP. So here we go. Top 10s. Top 10s. PlayStation 2 games. Okay, now, as far as the number of gaming memories and enjoyment, you know, I would have to seriously sit down and think about it, but if the PlayStation 2 does not eclipse the Atari 2600, it comes very, very close. Um, most of the memories and enjoyment I've had with the PlayStation 2 uh, occurred with my ex-girlfriend and uh, my roommates when I first moved up here, or actually when I started coming up here to visit, and then when I moved up here like a year later. Uh, the time is, frame is from, what, I want to say springtime 2001 all the way up to when I moved out of the apartment that I lived with them in in 2004. Um, of course, I was living with, um, of course, like I said, my girlfriend and my roommates who were a married couple. Now, with them being a married couple, um, you know, my roommates, they were huge on co-op games, you know, stuff they could play together. And, you know, if it wasn't, if it wasn't that, it was stuff to compete directly against each other and things like that. Um, let's see. 
um, the husband like playing like Legacy of Cain and things like that. But when it came, when you know his wife wanted to play with him, they usually played like Baldur's Gate, Dark Alliance, and things like that. You know, it was it was fun. I mean, and when it was time to be competitive, we would break out like. Uh, at first, it was um, WWE uh, SmackDown, Know Your Role, and then when Here Comes the Pain came out in 2003, you know, that was our wrestling game of choice. Um, let's see. Um, I played those games along with them, and we had a lot of fun. Um, when I could finally afford to do so, I bought my own PS2. Uh, although, like I said, when I talked about it um, several episodes ago... Um, I fried the first one because I was playing games and playing DVDs on it, and that was a big no-no for the first uh, generation of the system. I still have that one and the second one I bought. They're in my closet. They're in storage. I keep thinking one of these days I'll get them fixed, but now it's like, okay, who fixes PlayStation 2s now? You know, I've done an internet search for that kind of stuff, and I haven't found anything. There was a place online that fixed ps2s but i think they went out of business or they switched their attentions to like the playstation 3 or something like that but anyway so uh the second one i bought soon after the first one died and that one lasted me about six years and then in 2010 uh, i bought a ps2 slim and it's held up well ever since i've had it for 11 years and it just plays. It just plays whatever I put in it, which is good for me. Um, I own 70 games for the system. And I'm a firm believer that, yes, this is the best gaming system of all time. And the fact that well over 120 million units were sold world worldwide backs, backs that belief up. So, um, let's see. Once again, this is uh, no particular order. I pretty much, uh, you know, typed them down as the games came to me, and then I went back and I actually, you know, typed out some uh, thoughts about each game, so, you know, let's explore this. Of course, this is my list. I know that, you know, if you're a PS2 enthusiast out there, I know that your list is probably going to be pretty radically different than mine, but these are the games that I loved the most. Out of, you know, in the P for the PS2. So here we go, and we'll start with what I just talked about: WWE SmackDown. Here comes the pain. This is my all-time favorite wrestling game, uh, arcade, uh, Commodore 64, um, PlayStation One, uh, Nintendo, Super Nintendo. It doesn't matter. This game trumps all of them. Um, the roster in this game is extensive. Even if um, I think the statistics for some of the wrestlers were inaccurate, but there's a reason for that, and I'm not going to go on a rant about it. God only knows I did it on um, I did it on uh, Facebook a couple months ago, which triggered an argument, and I'm not going to start that here. But suffice it to say, I know what's going on. Uh, the creative wrestler engine worked extremely well, um, and you know, you go through the storyline, you know, to build your wrestler up, and, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, the storyline is actually a really good one. And then there are, like, you know, branches that 
you know, sort of branch off from the main storyline. I mean, it's not that intricate, but it still is a lot more extensive than what came before it. Um, let's see, like, I had uh, so much fun with this game, both by myself and playing with my roommates shortly after I moved in with them in 2003. Um, I still play it to this day when I need to play a wrestling game. Um, yeah, and I know that, same, you know, uh, I know that, you know, I say that knowing that Retromania exists. I've, there's a reason why I've not gotten into that game. I'm still trying to figure it out, but either way. Um, let's see. Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance and Dark Alliance 2. There's a tie here. Uh, these two are the best action RPGs I've ever played, bar none. Um, being a D&D player from the early 80s, these games checked a lot of boxes for me. The storyline in both games were excellent, but the first game wins here because the storyline was a lot more polished, but the second game pulls ahead for sheer action and abilities and new ways to implement them on the controller. I spent many an hour getting each of these characters, each of the characters in both games to maximum level and beating the uh, various um, difficulty levels with them. Um, the co-op mode was great, and, you know, you could, you know, it was great to play. I mean, I've played through the storyline with both my roommates and uh, things like that. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, it, the spell effects were great. You know, the action was good. The characters looked, you know, wonderful. I mean, it's a fantastic game. Um, once you beat the game on extreme mode, which is the highest level in the game, you were able to get Dristo Erden as a playable character in both games, although in Dark Alliance 2 you could also get his arch enemy Artemis Entreri uh, as a playable character. So the replay value in both of these games is extremely high. You basically have a total of four characters in Dark Alliance and a whopping seven for Dark Alliance 2. You know, so you could basically replay this game oh goodness if you really wanted to be crazy you could probably replay it what 28 times <laughs> you know each character on one particular uh, difficulty level play through it go up to the next uh level you know play through it so on so on so forth but yeah i mean i love these games you know every so often i still break out dark alliance and dark alliance 2 and start messing around in the story mode because it's just a great story okay uh ace combat 5 the unsung war now i did buy ace combat 4 for the playstation 2 but when this game came out i immediately turned my attention to it and i think i um i think that i uh turned in my ace combat 4 to gamestop if i'm not mistaken you know, trying to get story stories, get store uh, store credit to buy another game, um, because I don't have it anymore. All I have is Ace Combat Five. Um, the storyline in the story mode gets a little silly towards the end, as someone over at Namco took a page out of uh, Macross slash Robotech for the final two or three missions. Um, the game was similar to its predecessor, but it was always fun and challenging. Um, is for uh, replay value uh, once you got through the actual whole story you could go back into the missions and try to get um, the S uh, rating 
for you know, each mission and that would allow you actually to get a certain um, livery for your aircraft so you know if you were a completist that was just something for you but yeah love this game this is one of the best ones I mean like I said um, uh, Operation Wingman for um, the PC um, pretty much you know borrows heavily from uh, the concepts for uh, the Ace Combat series uh, let's see NBA Street Volume 2 Okay, this game is just ridiculously fun. I've always loved it. Uh, the first NBA Street was good, and I think I still have it in my collection, but this version took what that was and put it on another level. Uh, the dual and uh, triple special moves in this game are both spectacular and hilarious to watch at the same time. The gameplay is great, and it was a welcome break from the hyper-serious 2K games, because... Uh, I started getting into uh, the 2K basketball game, starting with 2K5, which arguably is one of the best basketball games of all time. But, you know, that's just my opinion, which a lot of people share. Uh, let's see, moving along. Uh, Need for Speed Underground 2 and Most Wanted, another tie. I love these games for slightly different reasons, and when I'm feeling froggy, I start a new game and I play through them. Um, while they are more or less arcade racers with storylines attached, the action is fast and furious. Get it? See what I did there? <laughs> fast and furious? Get it? Um, and the graphics are aesthetically pleasing. Uh, the differences in the game are what, what was focused upon. In Underground 2, it was much more of a focus on the street racing culture, where the depths of the customization were so great one could get lost in trying to squeeze out just that little bit of extra performance out of your car once you started getting upgrades for it. Um, with Most Wanted, the customization was there, but it, wasn't ju it just wasn't to the ultra-geeky levels Underground 2 went to. And this game had the one thing Underground 2 lacked in order to make that the perfect game. The police. Um, I love these games almost completely equally. I could never choose between them. That's why uh, they're tied on my list. I love them both. Okay, moving along. Hot Shots Golf 4. Now, don't let the cartoony graphics and the goofy characters fool you. Underneath all of that is a rather deep and serious golf game. Um, Hot Shots Golf 3 was really good, but when this came out, it basically took everything Hot Shot Golf 3 was and turned the volume way up. Um, career mode is really hard, especially once you get about 75% way through the game. Um, I think that if I had a criticism, the learning curve for the... Uh, as you're going through the game, the learning curve continues to get steeper and steeper and steeper because you're dealing with ridiculously savage weather conditions, you know, where you're dealing with like nine meter per second crosswinds, you know, smaller and smaller greens and more sharper and sharper um, terrain, hard, you know, harder to, you know, harder to deal with. And, yeah, I got three-quarters of the way through it the first time before I really started getting frustrated by it because, you know, just I was having a lot of trouble pl planning my golf shots because 
the weather was just so on such an extreme level that, you know, you really had to know and have really deep and intimate knowledge of the game engine to really be able to put your shots where you want them. Um, let's see. Um, the courses themselves range from simple and straightforward to fiendishly complex. Like I said, I started two career modes. I have not finished either one. The first one I got maybe three quarters of the way through the game. And the second one I think I got maybe two thirds of the way through it. And it, this is just one of those games, and I think most golf games are like this, where you have to play it constantly to keep your chops up. Um, I m might try to get back into it and try to finish it, but, you know, I have to be able to devote the time to doing it. Okay, moving right along. Uh, Street Hoops. Um, this game, as much as I enjoyed it, it would stress me out big time. Um, at the time of its release in 2002... Uh, the And One Street Ball Tournament uh, was taking off, and they had just gotten a TV deal with ESPN. And so, like, what was it, every, like, Saturday afternoon or something, I would, you know, see episodes of this, uh, all these street ball legends going from city to city across the country looking for the best players in each city, first to join the opposing team, and then at the end of the season, the best player on that team would be a, a permanent part of the and one squad. I mean, it's a great show. I still miss it to this day. Um, the game itself, however, um, it's another example of the wise saying, don't let the smooth taste fool you. I mean, it starts out decent enough and dare I say easy once you get used to controls. But after beating the third, third or fourth team, the difficulty level would ramp up to a ridiculous degree, as with the actual game speed. I mean, I remember, like, the first time I actually played this game, um, and I was going through, you know, the uh, tournament mode, which is more or less their story mode without story. Um, I remember just the, you know, just the levels of difficulty just one af from one game to the next you know it's like you're playing along say your difficulties at like say like a four out of ten i mean it's challenging but it's not you know ridiculous then you beat that team and then all of a sudden you go up against a team with one of the and one legends on it and next thing you know the game speed at the very least doubles if not triples and you know, all of a sudden, you know, they're doing all kinds of ridiculous dribble moves and, you know, they're making your character fall down because that's part of the goal in the game in order to, you know, in order to score pretty much is to more or less, you know, chain together dribble moves to make the person guarding you, you know, fall either like stumble to the side or fall down, then you can either, you know, take a jump shot or drive to the basket for a dunk or an alley-oop or whatever. But it gets really hard. And then um, I got maybe, I think about 80% through the game, but I could never finish it. Um, you had to keep winning and making money, in-game money to uh, buy players and get clothes because that was the other thing you could actually customize how your character looked which I thought was pretty cool and as you beat teams you would be able to to acquire the actual and one players for your team 
but the stress of the game was so high that sometimes I would start playing it and I would just shut it off in frustration. Yeah, I, I rage quit sometimes. I'm not ashamed to admit it now. I'm an old man. Um, and I would just go and play NBA Street just to clean my palate, so to speak. Um, let's see. Uh, Champions of Norath and Champions Return to Arms. Another tie. Um, these games were based on the same game engine the Dark Alliance games were based on, although I would say they were more pure action RPGs. Um, the actual game itself is based on the EverQuest world of Norath, and it had a massive advantage that Dark Alliance didn't have. If you had a PlayStation multi-tap, you could play four players on this game, which was a lot of fun. I mean, I have distinct memories of um, myself, my girlfriend, and my two roommates. We all just got on the multi-tap, and we're all you know, playing, you know, going through, like, you know, the storyline, you know, and playing. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I love it. I think I still have a lot of those game saves, actually, on the, uh, on the, um, save cards. Um, but yeah, I mean, fantastic. Uh, the first game, Champions of Norath, was extremely linear. I'm not saying Return to Arms wasn't linear, but it felt like you were less on a railroad in Return to Arms. They made it a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit more open world, which was actually cool. Um, in the first game, it was harder to acquire the armor and weapons that helped you achieve your missions, but in uh, Return to Arms, there was a very decent crafting system. All you had to do was get the materials together and, or get the uh an armor or a weapon that you really liked and if you had the right materials you could upgrade it it was actually cool um just like with the dark alliance and the need for speed games i find it impossible to pick between the, these games either so yeah they made it uh both as a tie uh honorable mentions now i could have literally mentioned dozens of games here but i seriously tried to contain myself so here we go um, Ace Combat 4, Activision Anthology, NBA 2K9, NFL 2K5, and One Street Ball, which is the sequel to uh, Street Hoops, mind you. Um, Atari Anthology, Need for Speed Carbon, Capcom Classics Collection Volume 1, Intellivision Lives, WWE Smackdown Shut Your Mouth, Gauntlet Legacy, God of War, Lord of the Rings The Two Towers, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, I don't put Fellowship of the Ring in there because that's a completely different game and it was a massive disappointment. <laughs> the studio that actually made these three games, they really had to step their game up with the two towers, and they did. Although Return of the King is even better still, but I digress. Um, Midway Arcade Treasures Volumes 1, 2, and 3, Star Trek Shattered Universe, and Star Trek Encounters. And those are my top tens with honorable mentions. Um, if you've got, uh, you know, you've got, uh, PlayStation 2 games that you love and they're not on this list, hey, tell me about it. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. All right, so let's get on to the main part of this show, which is, are you experienced? I'm too old for this. 
hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, but I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying wet arsed in the heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe you're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. Say like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not going to buy a hemorrhoid cushion. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Elevator action. <laughs> One of my all-time favorite Taito games, for sure. Um, I've got memories of it and you know, opinions about it, and of course there's a time for some strategy section because I consider myself halfway decent at the game. I mean, I'm not an expert. I think an expert can consistently get over 100,000 points in the game. My highest score on Elevator Action, I think, is like, what, 65,000, 68,000, something like that. Um, but yeah, so I consider myself decent at the game, but I am no, by no means an expert. So, with all of that said... Let's get on to Wikipedia and get you some information about it. Elevator Action is a platform shooter game released in arcades by Taito in 1983. The player assumes the role of Agent 17, a spy infiltrating a 30-story building filled with elevators and enemy agents who emerge from closed doors. The goal is to collect secret documents from specially marked rooms, then escape the building. It runs on the Taito SJ System arcade system. The game was a critical and commercial success for Taito, exceeding sales expectations at the time it was released. It was a top-grossing arcade game on the Japanese arcade charts for three months in late 1983, and was among the top five highest-grossing arcade route games of 1984 in the United States. It has been ported to a variety of home systems and has had multiple sequels and appeared on Taito compilations. Uh, moving on to the gameplay... Elevator Action is an action platform arcade game. The player assumes the role of Agent 17, codenamed Otto, a secret agent. Otto enters a 30-story building at roof level and must work his way down to the basement, collecting secret documents whose locations are marked by red doors. Along the way, he must use the building's elevator and escalator systems to move from floor to floor and avoid or kill enemy agents trying to stop him. After picking up all the documents, Otto can escape to the basement and drive away in a waiting car to end the level. Otto can move left and right, jump, duck, and fire up to three shots uh, a time at a time from his pistol. When Otto is in an elevator, the player can push up or down to send him to a higher or lower floor. He can run or jump across an empty shaft as long as the elevator is above him and can ride on its roof but not control its motion or cross to the other side. The player can also push up and down to make auto ride an escalator. Um, if Otto tries to leave the building without collecting all the documents, he will be transported to the highest floor that still has an unopened red door and must work his way back down. In addition, if he takes too long to clear a level, an alarm will sound, and then the enemy agents then become more aggressive and the elevators will be slower to respond to the player's joystick movements. Huh, wow. I've never tarried long enough to actually ever have that um have that go off i do remember vic sage saying something about it when he he covered this game but let's continue uh each building contains a section in which lights are out making it harder to see approaching enemies on other floors auto can temporary temporarily disable the lights by shooting one of the overhead fixtures 
Otto is trained in shooting as well as karate. Uh, Otto can kill enemy agents by shooting them, jump kicking them at close range, dropping a light fixture on their heads, or crushing them with an elevator. If he is shot or crushed, or if he falls down an open shaft, the player loses one life. Uh, the release. During the game's test phase in North America, Mike Von Kennel, marketing manager, manager at Taito America, called the game a, quote, top test piece, unquote, and held high expectations. It was released in Japan on May 23, 1983, and in North America during October of that same year. In North America, while also sold as a dedicated cabinet, it was Taito's first game to be sold as a conversion kit in that territory. It was available in Europe by January 1984. Uh, let's see, the ports. Elevator Action was first ported to the family computer by Micronics, and this version was published by Taito in Japan on June 28, 1985. The Famicom version was later released in North America on the Nintendo Entertainment System around 1987. Taito later made and published their own port of the game for the MSX around 1985. Around that same time, under license from Taito, Sega made and published a version of the game for the SG-1000. It was later ported to the ZX Spectrum, Amstrad CPC, and Commodore 64. A port was in development for the Atari 2600, but was cancelled. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> uh, let's see, the Famicom NES version of Elevator Action was re-released for the Wii Virtual Console in Japan on April 3rd, 2007, and in North America on March 5th, later that year. It was later re-released exclusively in Japan for the Wii U Virtual Console on February 19th, 2014, and for the 3DS Virtual Console on March 12th of that same year. The arcade version was later re-released on the PlayStation 4 on October 26, 2017, and later on the Nintendo Switch on March 14, 2019 by Hamster Corporation as part of their Arca Arcade Archive series. Elevator action is included in the compilation Taito Legends, Taito Memories Gekon, Taito Memories Pocket, and Taito Legends Power Up. Uh, let's see, the reception. Uh, Elevator Action quickly became a commercial success for Taito. In Japan, Game Machine listed Elevator Action in their August 1983 issues as the top-grossing table arcade cabinet of the month. It then topped the Game Machine table arcade game charts for the next three months in late 1983, from September through October to November 1983, and persisted on their charts up until the April 1st, 1984 issue. In the first month of the North American release, the game was said to have, quote, surpassed all expectations, end quote, in terms of popularity and sales by Keith uh, Egging, uh, Vice President of Product Development at Taito America. The game was report reportedly popular with patrons at the 1983 Amusement Expo. Uh, conversion kits for the game were also popular, and the number of kits sold set an, a, quote, enviable record, end quote, for the company. It was among the top five highest-grossing arcade route games of 1984 in the United States. It received positive review from Computer and Video Games Magazine in January 1984, with the reviewer stating that, quote, It has a, original, a really original theme, and I found it a pleasant change from normal space-age shoot-em-ups, end quote. In a 1984 issue of Video Games, Steve Harris wrote, quote, it was a good action game which allows for a great deal of player input, end quote, 
and while he feared that it might have been overshadowed by the Laserdisc games of the time, though the game was as competent as those. It received a Certificate of Merit as part of the 1985 Archie Awards. Let's see... And let's do the legacy real quick. In 1991, a version of Elevator Action was made for the Game Boy, uh, developed and published by Taito. While it retains the same gameplay of the original arcade version otherwise, it included new game elements like power-ups and new weapons. A port for the a port of the game for easy web mobile phones was released on April 15, 2004. This mobile version was later published in North America by Sony Pictures Digital around 2006. A sequel, Elevator Action Returns, was released in the arcades in 1994. Elevator Action EX is an updated version of the game released for the Game Boy Color in 2000. Elevator Action Old and New is a further update for the Game Boy Advance published in 2002. Revealed at AOU 2009, Elevator Action Death Parade is a light gun shooter that uses elevator doors when changing scenarios. A later remake of the game, titled Elevator Action Deluxe, was released on the PlayStation Network on August 31, 2011. The game contains single, single and multiplayer modes as well as the original arcade game. <laughs> Interesting. Wow, so yeah, I mean, this, this game is, has a nice little history. A little, uh, certainly a little niche right around the crash for sure. Uh, let's see, my own personal memories. Um, if I remember correctly, the first time I played this game was in Bolarama's game room in 1983. I learned by watching Mark play it and then through my own trial and error. Of course, with it being a Taito game, it can be cheap and unforgiving, but there's something about this game that keeps me coming back. The arcade in Brighton has one, and when I used to be a customer, I would play it more often than not when I was there. Of course, unless I'm working, which I usually am. <laughs> yeah, that's the one part about working in an arcade. You can't play the games while you're on the clock. It's a bummer. But anyway, uh, that's Are You Experienced for it? Um, if you've got any um, thoughts about this game, just all, once again, get a hold of me. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com all right, let's move right into time for some strategy. Okay, time for some strategy. Um, okay, although this game is rather simple graphically and also in uh, the objective that you have to achieve, even for 1983, this game is sneaky complex. Um, after playing a few sessions, I was able to remember some tips about how to get good at this game, so here we go. Uh, first tip, the elevator is your friend. Um, once your agent gets on the elevator and starts descending at the beginning of the level, you gain control of the elevator after you pass the 30th floor, and you have full control of the elevator while your agent is in it. Use it to avoid or block enemy agent shots by raising or lowering the elevator just enough so that the bullets hit the top or the bottom of the elevator or pass over or under it altogether. It's a little bit of an expert move, but the sooner you master this, the longer your games will last. <laughs> That's the truth. Um, let's see. Next tip. Get to the red doors ASAP. 
You can also use them to hide in for a few seconds if you're surrounded. That tends to happen, oh, I want to say from the fourth building on. Um, the agents start popping out of doors a lot faster, and, you know, you can find yourself surrounded pretty easily. If you are on a floor with a red door, you have to go there anyway, so if you've got a lot of enemies surrounding you, you can duck in there, stay in there for a few seconds while you figure out what you need to do. And then once you figure it out, you do that thing. Okay, uh, next tip, keep the elevator moving. Uh, don't get caught or trapped on a floor. Ride that elevator down to its lowest floor, then get to the connecting elevator ASAP and keep heading down. If you are on the floors with the escalators, use them quickly to get to an elevator and keep moving. Um, yeah, do not tarry on a floor for any reason. There's no point in doing it. All it will do is make uh, the end of the level that much harder, but I'll get to that. Uh, let's see. Uh, no one understand that it's only the enemy shots that kill you, not the agents themselves. This will be rather problematic in later levels, but no one understanding the timing as to when an agent pulls out his gun in an attempt to blast you. If you see an agent on the floor below you, move the elevator down to that floor, step off it, squat down and fire at him. Or better yet, keep the elevator moving down and blast him in passant. Um, in the first two or three levels, this is a sound tactic, but soon the agents will shoot at you faster and will actually squat or even lay down prone on the floor to shoot at you, forcing you to jump over the shots. When shooting at enemy agents, always squat down at least for the first few levels. Uh, just know that an enemy can also drop to a knee to avoid your fire. Uh, let's see, next tip. Use the jump kick as much as possible. Uh, if there is an agent waiting at the edge of the shaft for your elevator, you can start the jump kick towards him on the way down to take him out before he even has a chance to pull his gun. Uh, you can also do it when your elevator is moving up, but the timing is more difficult. Uh, let's see. When you get down to the last 10 floors, try to get to the first floor and find out which elevator will get you into the garage to complete the level. The last seven floors are a complex maze of single and double elevators with doors on opposite ends of the building. This is where the agents will come out and life gets complicated until you figure out which elevator is the one you're is going to the garage and sometimes there will be red doors on these levels as well, especially starting on the third building. In later levels, the elevator does not wait as long between floors and the agents move and shoot faster. You're going to get caught in some uh, situations where you're going to lose a life, but it's just a fact of life in this game. Um, aside from the fact this game can be frustratingly cheap at times, it's one of my favorite arcade games, and I absolutely love it. And that's just how it is. <laughs> so that's elevator action. I've given you the history of the game, my experiences with it, and some tips also how to get pretty good at it. So... Uh, if you've got your own strategies that you use, hey, let me know what they are. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. All right, and now it's time to go to the last uh, segment of the show, and it is the Silver Ball.
the silver ball, Playboy. Now I'm talking about the 1979 machine, not the one they redid in the like 1990s or 2000s. I can't remember where that one is, but um, now I'm not. I wasn't able to find a, a ton of information about the machine, but I did find some, uh, which thanks to uh, VintageArcade.net, they actually had a nice little thing. So here it is. Um, in 1979, Bally Manufacturing Company released the first Playboy pinball machine. According to Pinside, this particular pinball machine has a production run of 18,250, making it the number four most successful flipper game of all time. Wow, I'm going to have to look at that list. I want to know what 3, 2, and 1 are. Uh, let's see. The startup and bonus score countdown music for the Playboy Pinball Machine is similar to the Playboy's theme from the 1969 Playboy After Dark television show. <laughs> I didn't know that existed. <laughs> I'll have to check that too. Uh, this game's artwork was created by Paul Ferris, and the back glass features an illustration of Hugh Hefner with playmates Patty McGuire and Sandra Theodore. Uh, let's see uh, some of the special features on the game. Uh, the five Playboy keys. Um, those are five drop targets which are scattered around the uh, pinball play field. Um, the open the door specials, bonuses, and giant grotto scores. Um, the new Playmate targets. That's basically a row of drop targets on the left, I believe. Um, you hit all five of them and you win specials, bonus advances, extra balls, and extra games. So it behooves you to constantly hit those five. Uh, action drop targets, uh, there, there, there's a key to a 25,000 outlane score when all, the when all the targets are down. So basically if, you, uh, if the ball goes in an outlane and it's lit, they, you get 25,000 points for it. Uh, the new Playboy Grotto. Uh, there's a unique kickback lane, which advances the bonus up to 30,000 depending on the number of keys lit. So, I think that means the more keys that you uh, knock out when you decide to hit the the Grotto lane, uh, the more I think the higher the more uh, points you get. And then there's a memory super bonus. Uh, once a 20,000 bonus score is achieved, 20,000 points are recalled and added with every ball. Which was actually, you know, I remember that, actually. <laughs> now, you know, that, that actually jogs a memory. Um, I do remember that, yeah, you wanted to get that 20,000 bonus score, so because that would always be there, which would kick your score up, of course. Um, okay, I've read some reviews on uh, Pinside. And most of them were fairly positive. I think the rating was like 7.3 or something like that out of 10. Um, I remember when this machine came to the Trumbull Mall Arcade, and I knew what was going on because I was rather familiar with Playboy magazine, even at the age of 10. But that's another story for another time. We're just not going to go there today. Um, of course, I like the art, but I do remember the game wasn't that easy. I mean, of course, you, I'm looking at this machine through the eyes of a 10-year-old boy, and, you know, that means that it's just, you know, what the, my memories are a little skewed because of that. I mean, I haven't played a Playboy pinball machine, oof, 40 years at least. Um, 
if he missed your shots and sometimes if he made them you could drain down the middle or the out lanes fairly easily um i like the old style music as you played um and i do know that they made another playmoy machine sometime in the 90s or early 2000s but that's okay because i like the old school machine i thought it was awesome so yeah i mean that's all the information i was able to track down about playboy um i'm hoping to find more information as we go through with the silver ball um let's see i'm pretty sure that by the time i get to like bride of pinbot which is like the limitation should i say of uh the actual limitation of pinball experience for me uh because a lot of the my personal feeling is that a lot of pinball machines got really really difficult from like 1992 forward like i wanted to love star trek the next generation of the machine made by williams but i didn't it was too cheap <laughs> you know it it just too many ways to you know have your ball drain so you know that's just my personal opinion but i might even do star trek next generation we'll see all right so yeah if you've got more information about playboy or god forbid you're one of the lucky people out there to actually own this machine hey get a hold of me and tell me about it arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com all right and that's it for episode 42 um rather short and sweet now i'm going to try and get this episode out um before i leave to go to chicago because otherwise i'm not going to put it out probably until probably next tuesday so i'm going to do my best to try and get it out but if it doesn't happen because i got too many things to do before i before i head out you know it just it is what it is you know there's nothing i can do about it but rest assured i will do my best to get it out before i leave okay so um until next time uh let's see uh let's scroll on down to episode 43 which is ready to go i'll probably record that and like i said there's going to be plenty of uh pictures maybe even some videos here and there of each arcade that i go to um there's going to be uh, of course on the spot um opinions and uh thoughts about each arcade i go to and so on and so forth um and those will be sprinkled through the following episodes you know i'm going to try and get it all done and of course they're going to be arcade rundowns and reviews of all of these places so you know stay tuned for all of it because i will give it to you <laughs> that's for sure uh moving on to episode 43 let's see there's story time Oh, and yeah, I had a lot to say about this particular topic, so, you know, we'll see about it. Uh, of course, we've got our experience in Time for some Strategy, and that's for a one of my all-time favorite games, and I took copious notes, and there will be also an on-the-road segment. So, once again, you know, uh, I will try to get all these stuff out and onto social media about my trip. Hopefully, I'm able to, you know, meet Jack Danger in person. I mean, I've already met him in person, but, I mean, I'm hoping to hang out with him on his home turf, so to speak. 
and hopefully I get that interview with Doc Mack because that's what I'm really looking forward to. And hopefully I can get a hold of Greg Hansen and interview him as well. So we shall see. So until next time, this is Brian saying have fun out there. <laughs> Good gaming. Stay safe. Stay smart. Let's get through this variant and let's try to get back to normal. But be smart about it. Au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.